Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Rich Yelma here live on Southern Sports Central. I'm Will Porter here today. We're going to bring you another solid two-hour show. It's 6 a.m. on the 10th day of January. We're only a few days away from uh, kicking off the national championship, finding out who is the real deal when it comes to college football. Of course, you'll be crowned the real Tiger, the real Death Valley. You'll get all those conversations. We'll all come to a head come on Monday evening. Now, again, this weekend, coming up tomorrow and into Sunday, you're going to get the NFL playoffs. So, of course, uh, you win, you, you're you in, you don't, you won't, that type of thing. Uh, we'll, we'll come to tuition. There's a lot of guys uh, that they're looking at now coming back from some health situations. I know the Vikings, uh, they've got a few concerns over there. One's a wide receiver. And then uh, Mr. Ingram is the conversation over at Baltimore. It looks like he's going to be back ready to go. And what does that mean for um, – for that entire team, having a guy like Ingram come back, because, you know, I, I get it. He's not the quarterback. He's not this, that, and the other in the offense. However, he takes away a little bit of attention from that quarterback that's able to really kind of stand out, come out and do some things. We saw him do that in Louisville. Of course, now he's doing it with Minnesota. So we'll talk a little bit about that here today. Of course, Will's going to kind of steer the ship here uh, again uh, this morning a little bit. I'll kind of dip in and out here uh for a little while, around 6.30, and then get back in here with him really around the top of the hour and then uh, finish the show here with him remotely. But that being said, uh, Will, good morning to you, buddy. You've done a great job this week. We've had a lot of things going on here uh, in the studio. We've had a lot of things going outside the studio, and uh, you've done a great job putting together a really good show. I know yesterday you had Matt Sims all the way from the Bayou over there with the LSU uh, campus there. He came in and talked a little bit about what was going on in LSU and probably his thoughts and opinions of this game coming up Monday. But uh, uh, again, we say uh, top of the morning, buddy. Hey, good morning to you and good morning to everybody out there. Yeah, it was a great conversation yesterday about um, all, all things, the, the Clemson and LSU game that's uh, coming up on Monday night, the, the college football playoff national championship. And it is uh, it is going to be a good one. Uh, and, and the discussion that we had uh, really, really centered around uh, all, all the aspects of the game on, on offense and on defense. You know, co- uh, coaching styles uh, as far as uh, offense is concerned, and what uh, Joe Burrow has been able to do, what Joe Brady has been able to do with Joe Burrow, um, and, and bringing his name into the national spotlight so much that he wins a national cha- uh, a, a Heisman Trophy nationally. Joe Burrow does, and so they have a chance now to really continue this uh, Cinderella story, if you will, the LSU. Uh, of uh of this of this guy joe burrow uh coming from like coming from the state of ohio when he was at ohio state and then uh transferred down to lsu where he's built like it basically it, it kind of being a house that joe built um because it is he has been embraced by that community there um in baton rouge and then for him to win a national championship and then to go number one overall and, th- and then that that would be the last piece of it for him to go number one overall to the Cincinnati Bengals. That would be 
the, the, the cap off to the Cinderella story, but he has to get to this point first, which is winning a national championship. And to be quite honest, that's the goal that he has had all along. Right. And I, and I agree with a lot of people that they're talking about the Cinderella story because LSU is known for so many years for their defense. Uh, they've got that DBU mentality. They've got that whole, what do they do uh, better than anybody type of thing. And that's where the defense comes into mind. They, they have had a few, uh, you know, uh, guys that have come through the Russell Wilson's and things like not Russell Wilson. I'm trying to think what was the quarterback's name that was uh, there. Uh, the quarterback, I should probably never brought it up. Talk about at LSU. Yeah. At LSU. Ah, uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I need to. I'll look that up. But nevertheless, <laughs> they've had great quarterbacks, and uh, you you start to kind of look at you know what they put together this year alone. And then there's some articles coming out, and and there's a lot of beat writers. Uh, a couple of individuals are are predicting uh, that Clemson is going to take out uh, the Cinderella story, and it's going to come to an end come Monday night. And of course, I said on social media, I just I'm kind of shocked. I don't. I don't see where they feel like this defensive line for Clemson is going to outpower the offensive line for LSU. It's like they're saying LSU hasn't seen any defensive linemen. Do they not realize the conference that they're in? I mean, uh, let's be realistic here. Okay. I I understand uh, when it comes down to it that, you know, Clemson has a good defense. This is not the best defense that they've had out there. This is not the best team that they've put on the field. Uh, from Brent Venerables, you know, he's had to put some things together. He's had to put some pieces together. When he's got that many number one draft picks going into the NFL defensively, uh, it speaks volumes of what he's done. But I just don't I, – I don't know. I don't understand how they feel like this defensive front is going to outpower the offensive line of, of LSU. It's definitely good for conversation for myself here on the show. Will, of course, you know, as well. So, uh, you know, we'll get into a lot of that here today. We'll talk a little bit more into, I'd imagine he's going to get into some NFL conversation here with the playoffs being tomorrow uh, for the AFC, the NFC taking off on uh, Sunday. So uh, all of that coming up, he'll, of course, get into that conversation as well. Uh, and then, of course, taking some phone calls throughout the show is always a uh, is always an opportunity. But today I feel good about, you know, really diving into now. Now we can get into a little bit deeper, as deep as you need to get, uh, to this conversation about the national title. And again, it is in Louisiana. So how cool would that storyline be as well? So there's different storylines for different uh, angles here that really put this thing in LSU's court to to really kind of cap off, if you will. They were hoping, by the way, Drew Brees didn't get the memo, but they were hoping that the Saints were going to come marching in and uh, they were going to be in the Super Bowl. So it would have been a huge Louisiana push, if you will. Uh, yesterday, by the way, Getting off the plane yesterday is Michael Leach. He is the official coach over at Mississippi State. Gets off in khakis and a nice pullover and a cowbell. That is wild. It's awesome. All of that happening. And, and it, it wasn't necessarily that you called it, but you but you definitely alluded to it. And right. that was a name that uh, that was a name that didn't pop up on the list. If you if you were a, a listener to the show a couple of uh, a couple of days ago, I, I brought out this list of like top ten candidates who would be most likely uh, to take over a Mississippi state job. And, um, and he wasn't even on the list because, because he was still under contract and that he was all the way up at, at Washington state. Uh, Ne'er did we realize that uh, just how crazy that, that it would be um, just like the whole speculation, I guess. And then I, I think that that's the guy that they wanted all along. Plus, Mike Leach probably had his reasons of why he wanted out anyways. But, uh, and, and that's something that we can get into 
uh, later on in the show. We can, we can actually do that uh, early on right now while you have time uh, here right. in studio. But, of course, uh, yeah, that, that was crazy news coming out yesterday. And, and can you think about it now? The Egg Bowl is going to feature two brand-new coaches. That's uh, Lane Kiffin and uh, Mike Leach. Yeah, and that's, that, to me, is good for the economy, not just for the state of Mississippi, but it's great for the uh, – it's good for the gamblers down there in the down there in the Mississippi River. You know the uh, the gambling casino boats because who's you going to go with? You're going to go with, uh, you know, one guy that's as quick as a singer as anybody. And then, man, this new guy they just brought in here, like I said, had nothing but khakis, tennis shoes, a pullover, and a cowbell. And that's what he looked like coming off the boat or off the bus there, or off the plane. However, uh, you know, you want to have him coming in there with the swords and all that. They call him the you know the pirate and all that stuff. But yeah, to me, it's a perfect fit though. I mean, you know, once it kind of there was some small chatter, and I and I put it out on social media. I tagged us on so on Southern Sports Central. I tagged Will and I said, "Man, who like this hire? This would definitely be a big one here. Well, how about this guy?" And that was. And uh, here's a crazy thing. And we're gonna go to break here in about thirty minutes. But you know, here's the crazy thing. He just signed an extension in December. So I'm sure those in Washington State feel like they portrayed he portrayed them. I'm sure everybody's in their feelings now. It's probably one of those things. Uh, but there was also, uh, was it last year, he commented on the world's worst visitor's locker room? Guess where it was? Mississippi State. We'll talk about that coming out of break. We'll take a quick break here. We'll come back. Uh, we'll get into this Mike Leach conversation, the next head coach over there at the Mississippi State Bulldogs. You're listening to Southern Sports Central right here on southernsportscentral.com. In here. And the bass keeps running, running, and 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 in this context, there's no disrespect. So when I bust my rhyme, you break it back. We got five minutes for it to disconnect from all intellect and let the rhythm affect.
punk dot pearls. Lose your mind, this is the time. Your kid is still just to bang your spine. Just pop your head like me, Apple D. Up inside your club or in your Bentley. Get messy, loud and sick. Your mind fast, no more on another head trip. So come down now, do not correct it. Let's get ignorant, let's get hectic. Everybody, everybody, get into it. Get stoked, get started, get started, get started. And good morning, everybody. Running right into the next segment here at 613 on Friday morning. It's our final Friday morning show for a little while. We're going to come at you in the afternoon starting on Monday from 6 to 8. Make sure you make your notes there. And the good thing is is we'll get guys like Zach Bailey, former uh, Somerville offensive lineman who went to the University of South Carolina and, oh, by the way, now plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, he actually talked to the head coach over there at Somerville yesterday, and our name came up. He said, you know, I really love to get on the show with those guys, but I can't because well, in the mornings, that's when I've got to report to work, which work for him is the NFL. So this is going to open up the avenue for us to get some different different interviews, some different people. Uh, those early people will still be able to come in on the afternoon, but there are afternoon people only. So the one thing that I do know is uh, we're excited about that going forward of course uh you know we're just moving some things around and we do this if you followed us and been around us for the last seven years you've seen the january after the bowl game we've always kind of gone to an afternoon game we'll do a lot of baseball games on here with somerville we'll follow the uh, green wave around this year they were the team that reached out to us that hey we'd love to be on the radio what chances do we have and we said well we don't have anybody so uh the cool thing is is that will actually is going to get to do uh, the voice in the stadium, and I'll do the voice on the radio, and uh, we're, we're just going to cover you all over the place. So it'll be uh, a, an interesting year. But the cool thing about that, and I need everybody to understand this too, when I do these decisions, it's usually first come, first serve, but I don't just talk about Somerville. They have to play somebody else on the other side of the field. And, uh, of course, I get into those conversations. There's kids over there on that side. So moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandmas and anybody else outside of the listening or the, the viewing area, can listen to them right here. So that's kind of the neat thing there. But uh, we'll get you up to date, get your schedule put together, and uh, we'll, of course, uh, look forward to the afternoon segment uh, as Will and I, again, you know, just taking it to the next level now. Where do we go from here? Uh, that's that's kind of the uh, the conversation there. So we'll uh, we'll get into some of that here, Will. As um, Man, I tell you what, I was a little bit surprised how quick how quick some of that stuff took place, if you will. But uh, Mike Leach coming on board and, and what he's able to do, and, and, and you really kind of have to kind of look at, at, at some of the overall conversations, well, well, too. You want to get the whole picture. You, you really have to look at the Egg Bowl uh, and all of the, the Egg Bowl in the past uh, three years, if you will. Because uh, DK Metcalf, he's now, a, um, he, he's now a football player for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, he got drafted. Uh, he scored a touchdown in the 2017 Egg Bowl, and he celebrated by pretending to pee like a dog. 
And then we all remember this one this past year where Elijah Moore, he scored a touchdown in this 2019 right. Egg Bowl, and he did the exact same thing. But Moore gets penalized. They, they move them back, what, 10, 15 yards before unsportsmanlike right. conduct. The kicker misses the extra point, and then uh, Mississippi State wins the Egg Bowl because of a missed kick. That's how, that, like, that's how it came down. Right. And Matt Luke, uh, the, the former head coach for uh, Ole Miss, he gets, he gets fired. And Joe Moorhead keeps his job. He would have likely been fired if he lost to, in the Egg Bowl. Right. They, they, these, this was a game that came down to them whether or not either coach would keep their job. Um, and then Ole Miss hires Lane Kiffin. Uh, and then the, the bowl game uh, mishaps for, for the whole week were just so bad for Mississippi State. Uh, the quarterback was punched in the face uh, by their star linebacker in a bowl practice, and then they lose their bowl game. And because of that, Joe Moorhead, uh, they, they, they were exploring the option for firing him, and then they finally did. And then that's when they start their coaching search and they come across Mike Leach. They get their right. man, Mike Leach. Now he's the coach. That's, kind, that, that's really kind of where this wild, crazy story started right. um, and, and how that we've gotten to this point. But it, it, is, it is fascinating to me. Yes, it, it's very fascinating how they were able to go out and get him after, after uh, like, what? So, so many other guys that, that could be worthy of this spot, and they think that he's the guy. I, I'm almost inclined to say, and of course I, I may be straying off a little bit here from, from the point that you're going to make. I, I feel as if that they were exploring the option of, of Joe Judge from, um, from the New England Patriots because he is a Mississippi State guy, and, and the conversation now is the possibility that, that Freddie Kitchens will go over to the New York Giants where Joe Judge is now uh, the head coach. Because these two coaches, they worked together uh, at uh, they worked together at Mississippi State at at, at some point in time, uh, you know, back a couple years back. Uh, I, whether or not they were players or coaches, I'm not sure. But that that uh, Mississippi State connection is is there. Well, you get it. Let's get a look at Judge real quick. So Judge, of course, played at Mississippi State, but he coached under Alabama's Nick Saban, and he coached again, uh, coached under the great one over at New England. So. He's kind of that two-headed monster. I think that was one of the attractive things, to be honest with you. That's why he got hired at, at, for the New York Giants. He doesn't have a lot of experience. He doesn't have the head coaching experience at all. I mean, this is a guy who comes in as a position coach. I mean, realistically, he didn't play at the biggest SEC school in the country, right? I mean, he played as a team. Even Mississippi State's never, other, other, than, other than having Dan Mullen over there, they really were never wow factors happening in this Starksville. Uh, but to get him, who's now played – in the SEC, then he goes under Nick Saban as a as a disciple now, and then he goes and coaches in in, in a Nick Saban version of the NFL with, with that coach over there with the Patriots. To me, you know that's why he got that job. Uh, is he qualified yet? We'll see. I think he's what thirty eight years old now, thirty seven. So you know he's a young kid. He's a young guy. He's a little bit younger than I am. Yeah, you talk you talk about the youth movement going in. Or, or, what is quote unquote the youth movement in yeah. the NFL as far as head coaches are concerned? Because now he's what the the sixth or seventh head coach, uh, probably the sixth head coach under the age of forty. Joining uh, joining Sean McVay uh, is is a notable one. Uh, Matt Lafleur, I think he is uh, thirty seven or thirty eight as well. Uh, some other some other notable names that um, that I can't think of off the top of my head, uh, but there are those coaches that 
because they have worked under uh, these these offensive systems, under these legend, legendary coaches like Bill Belichick, like right. Andy Reid, um, and and those guys, you know, being able to I guess learn from them so they can carry that on themselves. Um, and and I, I really believe that Joe Judge would be the perfect candidate for that. But you talk about how how young he is. Yeah, 30, yeah. 37 years old for a head coach. Um, not know, the youngest one in the league. Not, not the youngest one, but yeah. Uh, just talking about, you know, it, 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 it's, it's funny to me how it, the, the conversation always goes in the NFL about, uh, you know, old coaches versus, versus the new wave coaches. Like, really, really it, it comes down to the game plan and, and what right. you're able to do because – because um, that that's really what matters and i brought it up yesterday about you know is it is this new wave of offense that we see with with lamar jackson in baltimore and the baltimore offense is that going to be the new step towards uh towards offense or is it still the um the integrity of uh protecting the passer passing from the pocket and relying on your receivers and, and protecting the quarterback um and you know, you're you're start you're really starting to see the last of that. I I think that Tom Brady really is truly the last uh, like pocket passer quarterback that we can see in the NFL. You take a look at all, uh, the rest around the league, like maybe maybe a Daniel Jones, because he is uh, he was coached by the same um, by the same guy at Duke that uh, coached Eli Manning, and right. and just the, like the pocket passer staying there in in the pocket and passing it. Whereas you're starting to see now this shift towards a mobile quarterback and and being able to um, and, and being able to do to be able to do more things, not just passing, but running it as well. Drew Brees is another name, a pocket passer that I can think of primary. But that's the that's the change of the game. And the conversation is, is it is it the coaches or is it the scheme? Well, I just think it's the system. I, I think it's what you're looking I, at I here. And we, we can get into that, too. Now, Joe Judge, of course, is the third youngest, by the way. Uh, youngest coach in the NFL right now. He's right behind McVay and Taylor in, in that lineup. Now, eight seasons with the Patriots where he was a, of course, a wide receivers coach all the way up here to the recent 2019 hire here. Now, special teams assistant and analyst for the Alabama Crimson Tide 2009 and 2011. So, so when you look at it, he's going to bring in some things. He said yesterday he's an old school mentality. He will bring in that old school mentality because of the fact because that he coached under two great ones, Bill Belichick, of course, and, uh, and 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 everybody's favorite or not favorite, Nick Saban. So he has a different mentality. You heard it yesterday in his press conference, and you know press conferences are always funny to me when these coaches try to come out and they try to bark and try not to promise too much, but then they get themselves wrapped up in the moment. Next thing you know, they're sounding like everybody else. And he did say, "So we are going to be the cornerstone of not only the state." this city, but for this market, for this area, this region. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, he's got some work to do there because the Ravens are, are, are within that region, if you will, there. Uh, but we'll get into that. Now, back down to the college level. And so for the fire of this guy, and there's already talks of him going somewhere else and being a coordinator somewhere. We're going to find out real quick, and I say this on this show all the time, not all great coordinators are made to be great head coaches. Sometimes you got to get in where you fit in and you just – really good at where you are. And again, I've said it, not all coaches make great players, not all great players were great coaches. You know, all of that is true. And we're going to find out with this firing uh, of the coach over at Mississippi State. He'll land back on his feet pretty quickly here because he is a, as he say, he's very special at the uh, position that he coaches individually. So we'll find out where he, he lands. But now the guy that did land in Stark Vegas yesterday, uh, and they're already labeling it swinging a sword in Starkville, 
Mike Leach. Now, here's his career overall. Now, he spent 2012 to 2019 over at Washington State, where he went 55 and 47. Uh, led Washington State in uh, FBS and passing yards under Leach with 38.7.9. That's a pretty big number here. Is, uh, he likes to throw the ball around a little bit. He will remember was at Texas Tech for a good while. He spent 2000 to 2009, nine seasons there, where, uh, you know, he did not bad at all. 84 for 43, 84 wins, 43 losses. What ended him there was an ESPN analyst, his son that was on the roster there, where he ended up putting him in timeout or something like that came up. And, well, that that was a no-no. So they they had disagreements, and they agreed to disagree, and he took back off and went to Sirius XM for a little while. Yeah, I I think that that player uh, ended up suffering a concussion or or some sort. That uh, that was the report, and I can can remember reading reading this article yesterday and and reporting it back was – that that scenario that you're talking right. about, uh, what ended his tenure at Texas Tech under an investigation, mm-hmm. was for that player uh, possibly having a concussion and and I guess getting it mistreated or or it or it was the fact that it was the coach's fault that he got a concussion, uh, something or another. Yeah, I mean it, it's one of those things. The thing that got him ended was that the guy's dad was a big time guy at ESPN. That's what yeah. got him done. Yeah. That'd be somebody else. You don't even hear about the story, but. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, it, it worked out, I guess, for uh, for Mike Leach and the rest of us. We still be, were entertained with him going to Washington State. Uh, and then you you look at – he's evidently a quarterback guru to some degree here. He had, of course, uh, Tim Couch, Josh Hupel, uh Cliff Kinsbury, Luke Falk, and Gardner uh, Minshew II have all been quarterbacks under Mike Leach. So my question to him is how is he going to transition his abilities and transition it into wins on the football field because the coach they just fired, by the way, had a winning record at Mississippi State. Didn't have a bad, you know, didn't have an awful record. It wasn't a great record, uh, but he still won the ball games. He won games that he was in. He had a chance to really kind of uh, solidify what needed to be done there. But for me, Mike Leach is a guy who I think honestly automatically brings a wow factor. He's a winner. He's a proven winner. You look at his record there, you can add those two things up together if you want to. As a, a coach that was 55 and 47 and, uh, Texas Tech, really good at 84 and 43, almost uh, twice as many wins as losses there. But this is a different conference. This isn't the Pac. This isn't the Big 12. This is a very smash-mouth defense. you got to get some guys in here who can pass rush, who can really lock down corners, who can keep up with wide receivers that have some speed to them. Uh, you know, Steve Spurrier proved that you can sling it around when he was, you know, coming into the SEC. Now, can that guy over there, Mike Leach, do that at, uh, at Mississippi State? We'll find out. And, again, he's a little bit behind the eight ball coming in here in January because they've already had the first early signing day. Second signing day is going to be in February. That's going to be a good one to talk about here coming up too. But, you know, he does have the transfer portal that he'll be able to jump into as well. And I wonder how many guys are going to follow him. How many guys are going to follow him? Because you've seen that at South Carolina uh, where, matter of fact, you know, you can get into that a little bit here in a few. But, uh, they just brought in a, a tight ends coach, uh, you know, Mr. Cox, a former quarterback at Georgia, was uh, with Mike Bobo up there at um, his previous employment, and now he's brought him down. So he's got a coach, he's got a quarterback, he's got uh, a few other things that have joined him on this uh, on this trip to South Carolina. That would be the uh, the coach who is the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach over there. Now it means that Mr. Bentley for the game Cox has moved to another position change. So he's uh, you know, he's gone from being this to that, to that, to this, to now, uh, you know, uh, Coach Bentley is now taking another role, which is good. I, mean, I think Coach Bentley is a great guy. Of course, his son 
with Jake Bentley, who is now going to be playing over on the West Coast in Utah, I believe is where he's transferred he's over Utah. to. The Utes. The Utes. Mm-hmm. So he'll he'll get to have another chance for another life. But um, yeah, I I I'll tell you this though before before we cut to break, you know, uh, you're talking about that uh, Mike Leach. He's joining a, a an elite group. Uh, this is not you know the Big Twelve or or the Pac Twelve. This is the SEC. More specifically, this is the SEC West, where you're going to have to contend with with Alabama, with LSU. Uh, with with Texas A and M in a sense, and, and just how loaded that that the pack or the, the SEC West uh, is. You, you talk about and, and talking about head coaches too. Just imagine the sound bites that are going to come out of next year. You've got Nick Saban, you've got Coach O, you've got Lane Kiffin, you've got Mike Leach, and you've got Jimbo Fisher. You've got so many notable coaches in the SEC West that. It, it, it's it's just bursting with uh, talent, if you will. But but it's from the coaching standpoint, and and I would imagine, and just the, in this ideal scenario, we and we can we can dream about it, uh, just of how how great would it be, of all these teams recruiting the way that they can and the way that they are are capable of, and getting getting up into the national conversation, and it's a, and it's a dogfight for for the top spot in the SEC West. I don't expect that happening like next year or, or maybe, or maybe the year after, but I, I would hope to see that at, at one degree in some, like in some sense of, of when I say dogfight um, in, in regards to fighting for the SEC West, I would really like to see that uh, come to fruition at some point in time. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there. We, we, you know, we, like I said, we're going to go to break here. We'll come back uh, at a break. We can, kind of pick up here in this conversation, but uh, again, you know, it's going to be an interesting ride in the SEC West. I said that as soon as it came out, I said, man, oh man, has my SEC media days just got a little bit better. There's not going to be a dull moment. And these two guys, imagine, they're going to recruit each other's same backyard, and that, of course, is Lane Kiffin and, 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 and this coach that they just hired over there at Mississippi State. So it's going to be a good one. The good thing, and here's something that Mike Leach is the real deal. Say what you want to say about Mike Leach. He doesn't care what you say about him. He even enjoyed making fun of his own bobblehead. The guy has very little bit of give a darn. He just That's just who it is. He says what it is. It is what it is. He's not going to sugarcoat it. He's very much like a Nick Saban, but funnier. And Nick Saban's funny. It's just a different type of funny. It's like a used car sales funny. But uh, Mike Leach is that guy's like, hey, well, you know, here, here's where we are. He can make fun of himself as much as anybody can. Somebody brought it up. I, I want to say it was you that imagine Mike Leach and, and Frank Martin, like being part of the same in Columbia. In, in right. Columbia. Oh my God, the sarcasm would Sorry, be. Sorry, the sarcasm oh, would God. be out the wazoo. It would be bad. It would be terrible. It would be. But it would be make for good TV. It'd be good for you and me. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's head to break. Uh, that is good for you and me. We'll head to a quick break here. Six thirty on a Friday morning. It is the end of the week for us. We'll be back live again in the morning. Of course, uh, after we get off the air at eight o'clock today, we'll be back tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. Uh, doing the uh, fifth quarter. I'm going to actually join Will tomorrow because I haven't had a chance to do this all week, but we've got a lot to talk about. We've got the NFL playoffs. we got uh, Monday's game going on. Got a lot happening, so we're going to do that. We're going to take a break, come back, take some calls, and hang out with you. You're listening to Southern Sports Central right here on Blog Talk Radio. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling around the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. 
But that train keeps rolling on down to San Antonio. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry. There's rich folks eating from a fancy dining car. They're probably drinking coffee and smoking big cigars. Well, I know I had it coming. I know I can't be free. But those people keep a moving, and that's what tortures me. That railroad train was mine I bet I'd move it on A little farther down the line Far from Folsom Prison That's where I want to stay And I'd let that lonesome whistle Blow my blues away And welcome back in here, ladies and gentlemen. Time right now is 6.34 in the morning. You are listening to Southern Sports Central right here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, so glad that you can uh, join us this morning. Uh, I'm glad that you can uh, start the end to your work week with us. Uh, as we have gone live now for the first 30 minutes, and so we've got uh, about three more segments to go, and so you can lis- uh, listen to the conversation uh, right here and tell your friends about it. Uh, be sure to tag us at SO Sports Central on Twitter, you know, share it on Facebook. We're also over there at Southern Sports Central. Uh, give us a like, a thumbs up, uh, you know, do a, do a rate and review. Uh, and if there's anything that you would like, uh, if you would like to uh, hear from us do, do in the future, uh, why don't, why don't you uh, just let us know and uh, we will try our best uh, to do that. But also, if you want to call into the show right now, uh, the number to call in is 323-784-9681. We're going to stick with the, the college football front and, and the story there. Uh, and something interesting that, that came out uh, was was uh, playing the what-ifs game. So the, the biggest what-ifs uh, of the 2019 uh, college football season. And, and this, was, this was entirely uh, – this was, this was a challenge to really, uh, to really think about, to really fathom, because it is – it, it is unique in a way, um, you know, the, this alternate reality in which the, the 2019 college football season it, it, with just a couple of minor tweaks, it's, it's nothing really even that, that major, but just minor tweaks uh, of how the college football season would go. And it would be entirely different. Uh, this would be a world in which uh, North Carolina, they upset Clemson. 
Uh, Oregon would hold on to their huge lead uh, against Auburn. Baylor would hold on against Oklahoma. Um, and, and Tua, for the most part, he, he would take every snap at Alabama. Uh, and, and you're looking at a really huge change. Now, and these are not outrageous what-if scenarios, but uh, talking about things like, like fluke injuries that instead don't happen. Uh, a key pass attempt that actually finds its mark in an officiating crew that sees what 99.9% of us saw instead of making what a terrible ruling to overturn the call on the field. And no, this, one of these things on this list is not even um, about the Justin Ross fumble slash incompletion uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. And it's just that even if one of these nine things happened and it was cut differently, the butterfly effect could have been very, very massive. Um, and the first thing that I'm going to start out with is Tua. Uh, of course, this is, uh, this is the clear cut and dry of it all. Uh, that Tua Tagovailoa, what if he stayed healthy? This is, this is a colossal what if in, in this uh, college football, the, the violent sport of football. Uh, well, one player missing one quarter of one game can, can undo a, a team's dream of winning a game or, or you know, making a playoff in, in this uh, particular sense. In 2019, in uh, just this season, and just at the quarterback position, things might have played out so differently for the likes of Florida, Kentucky, uh, South Carolina, uh, USC over in California, uh, UCF, Purdue, uh, and Texas Tech if they hadn't lost their starters to injury either in the preseason or within the first three games. But there's no question that Alabama's quarterback is one of the biggest injury what-ifs of, of the past decade. And so you know that he, he suffered that leg injury, the, the hip injury, um, and, and they had scored at least 42 points and won each of their first six games by a minimum, a minimum of three possessions. And in that 46-41 loss to LSU, Tagovailoa's first game back after having less than three weeks uh, to recover from, from surgery to, to his ankle, um, that was, uh, he, he was good, but he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a god, if you will, this, uh, this amazing talent that we saw to a B for the past two years, ever since the 2017 national championship, he threw like for over 400 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, but the 52.5% completion rate was the second worst of his career as a starter. And he committed two terrible backbreaking turnovers that we never saw from him at full strength. And, and there's no, no question that his health impacted that game. And then the next game was the Mississippi state where he suffered that uh, hip injury. And then Mac Jones uh, threw two pick sixes in the Iron Bowl loss that booted Alabama well outside the playoff picture. And then if Tagovailo is healthy for that game against Auburn, they probably would win convincingly and maybe get the number four seed in the college football playoff instead of Oklahoma. And there would have been no need for a press conference uh, this past Monday to let us know that Tagovailoa would be entering the NFL draft. It would have been the most obvious early entry decision of this entire cycle. Uh, Richie, I, I kind of explain all of that uh, and what's going on. Uh, this what-if game, what if Tua Tagovailoa stays healthy? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on all of that? Um, the, you know, the, the sequence of events and how healthy that he was. Uh, and even, even as going back to the ankle injury uh, before the LSU game and then into the hip injury, and now he is, uh, he's declared for the draft the, the way that he did at the press conference. Uh, all of these what-ifs could have been changed. What do you think of all of that? Well, you know, that's, that's life, number one. That's sports, number two. And, uh, you know, it reminds me, listening to you break down the Tua situation, reminds me of that 
that year that Clemson won the national title in Tampa when they played that Alabama team. And that was the time that we realized that Jalen Hurst just wasn't very much of a, of a pocket passer. He was more of that dual threat, really. Well, they throw a quarterback. And for me, when that running back went down in Alabama, it changed everything. It changed the way they made the calls, the plays that they ran, how they ran them. Everything was changed quickly. You made a very good statement there. If Tua stays in the game, he doesn't get hurt. The team's probably in the national championship conversation for sure. They definitely make the final four with a healthy Tua. Uh, they only lost two games, though. That's the hard part for a lot of people to swallow. But, yeah, cause and effect. One chip goes down, normally it's like dominoes. There are more chips around them who have very little to do with the University of Alabama internally but externally. Uh, because two is out, this team is affected by this team, who's affected by this team, and then so-and-so goes on on the rosters. It's the same thing. But, yeah, I, I think without a doubt, if he doesn't go down, he doesn't get injured, it's it's a foregone – it's a, it's pretty simple. We know he's going to the NFL. He would have already probably been – I don't know if he, he would have beat out Joe Burrow. I think he would have definitely been a number two. So he's not really going that much higher or lower than he would if he didn't get hurt. Because he's at number three right now in between, of course, uh, uh, or is he at number two? I think he's at number two, actually. He's right behind uh, He's right behind Joe Burrow and right in front of uh, Oregon, Oregon's quarterback. So, I, I don't know if it would have helped him as lot as far as draft purposes go. Now, that's, that's the preliminary deal uh, because of his injury. But if he falls in order to where they're saying he will, yeah, it's not probably a whole lot different than what he was if he was a healthy quarterback because – I don't even know if they're healthy if, if they do beat LSU. You know, if they do, you know, I, I do think they beat Auburn. I do see that happening. But as far as, you know, uh, draft status, he's not going to be too far off away, it looks like, uh, than he would if he wasn't hurt. Yeah, and that's absolutely correct. Um, the, another one of these scenarios uh, was the question, what if North Carolina converted the two-point try uh, against Clemson? They came – just a, a fraction of a yard short uh, from, from uh, winning that game. Uh, the be- the, arguably the biggest surprise of the entire season, it was not an upset, but rather the almost upset. And it happened, uh, would have happened in, in Chapel Hill back in late September. So, so to set it up real quick, Sam Howell, the, the quarterback for, um, for the Tar Heels, uh, he led them 75 yards in four plays on the opening drive to take an early 7-0 lead over um, the ACC overlords that are, that are Clemson. No one worried. Uh, too much about it, though. Clemson would just win this one 42 to seven instead of uh, 42 to nothing, right? But that was when Travis Etienne fumbled midway through the second quarter to set UNC up for a 14 and seven lead, and that's when things started to get interesting. And with each of Clemson's four third quarter possessions, and that ended with uh, that ended with points to keep the game knotted at 14, uh, the pressure intensified even more. This couldn't seriously happen, now, could it? Uh, the mighty Clemson losing to a true freshman quarterback and a coach who wasn't even on a sideline for the past five years. And at long last, the good Trevor Lawrence showed up for a touchdown drive to take a 21-14 and lead uh, midway through the fourth quarter, followed by uh, uh, North Carolina putting together a 16-play touchdown drive of its own. And rather than take the extra point and hope for overtime, UNC went for two and drew up this uh, triple option play that got stuffed right about at the line of scrimmage. And after a failed onside kick attempt, that was that. Clemson survived, and, and they go undefeated. Now, if the Tar Heels had been successful, though, would they have even won the game? Now, Clemson had still two timeouts left and even 
more so a minute left on the clock to get into field goal range. And, and uh, even on what had been a disappointing afternoon for Trevor Lawrence, you almost have to assume he would have been able to pull that off. And if not, would, would a loss have been enough to keep the Tigers out of the college football playoff as weak as their schedule was? Uh, we, we, we would still be comparing a one-loss Power 5 champion uh, to a two-loss SEC runner-up as Georgia finished at number five. But we'll never know for sure. But, but chances are that Clemson would have sneaked in at number four, still giving us an all-Tigers showdown in the playoffs, just in the semifinals instead of the national championship. That, that's really fascinating uh, of a thought to think about. What's your thought, Richie? Well, first of all, go back to that North Carolina game. I blame the coaches. I blame the play caller. Whoever called that play for going for two, I wouldn't say it was the wrong call. You're at home. You have the crowd going with you. I'm probably going to go into overtime and let my crowd kind of win that one with me. If I was on the road, I would have definitely gone for it. However, why play call the one you did? Why go that route? That wasn't what has made you, you know, successful throughout the entire day. You've had a lot of passing success, and you want to get creative with a trick play. And, you know, if it works, you're a genius. If it doesn't, well, then you're a moron. And, and, and that's just how it worked out for uh, the North Carolina uh, play caller there. You know, I get it that, that you know, you, you say that, not you, but the other in, involved say that, you know, they've got a coach over there that hasn't been on the sideline in five years, but it's no different than Steve Spurrier, man. I mean, Mike Brown knows what he's doing. I mean, he does it. That, my man probably wins more games in his sleep than some people win in reality. I mean, this guy's a great coach. He's proven that at North Carolina. He's really played, put this program back. He's finally that one coach at North Carolina that is able to do something that I thought a few coaches before him would have done. But uh, for me, what would it have done? Well, it would have struggled Clemson to get into this Final Four conversation because people look for reasons to keep the ACC and, and Clemson out because of their lack of strength of schedule. So that being said, you know, yeah, I think there is some, some, some ground there that you could definitely say that had they lost this game, you know, we're, we're not talking about Clemson possibly in this Final Four. We're not talking about, you know, the, the Tigers and, and this undefeated streak that they've got at, what, 29 in a row? I mean, it is what it is. It's very impressive because of what they've been able to do. But any coach you talk to, they're going to tell you, winning a championship at any level, at any game, it takes a little bit of luck. And I think that's what happened for Clemson. They were able to go into the mulligan bag and really pull one out of the hat and, and get a little bit of lady luck on their side. And that's just sometimes, hey, look, I've seen a lot of teams win a lot of games off of just the right spin of the ball or the right place in the right situation. So, you know, that being said, Clemson did what they needed to do. They won the game, and now we're having a conversation about them being in the uh, championship game Monday night. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that, that's how luck fell that day in September, and, and it certainly just it fell right in the hands of Clemson. Um, it, but they did, they did have to work for it, and that was, uh, that was just an incredible, an incredible what-if on an upset, just, just uh, having the, to fathom that uh, and how everything in, in the college football playoff uh, would change, and then it would really, I guess, uh, it would have, in a way, humbled a lot of the Clemson fans and ACC fans who 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 really just ride on the strength of of Clemson going into uh, playoff uh, contention and those that are relevant. Um, let's stay let's stay with uh, top with top teams. Uh, one of them being uh, arguably the arguably the one game that um, still fascinates a lot of people. Um, un- not understanding how Georgia lost at home to South Carolina. Uh, uh, the Bulldogs, they, they nearly doubled the Gamecocks in first downs. Uh, they, the Georgia Bulldogs, they had seven drives 
of more than 35 yards compared to only one such possession uh, from South Carolina. And even though Jake Fromm committed four turnovers, the dogs should have done enough to score more than 17 points. And however, they consistently stalled out in plus territory. Now, Georgia, they had five drives during regulation that ended inside the South Carolina 45 without points. And that when, uh, and when they went scoreless in both overtime possessions from the South Carolina 25. Now, the Bulldogs had little to no difficulty moving the ball on their side of midfield, but they forgot how to offense uh, once they got close to the red zone. And if everything else about Georgia's season played out the same way, it, they might have made the playoffs by winning this game and finishing 12-1 and one and uh, uh, SEC runner-ups uh, for the title. They would have been a much fiercer debate over the number four slot than the foregone conclusion we ended up with. And it's a debate the Bulldogs probably win. They had victories over Florida, Auburn, Notre Dame, each of which ended up ranked in the final college football playoff top 15. And Oklahoma merely won a pair of nail-biters against a Baylor team that didn't have any great wins of its own. And Georgia's lone loss to LSU, uh, like I said, which what is much more forgivable than Oklahoma's misstep against a Kansas State. Now, maybe the Dogs would still have been left out in favor of the uh, 12-1 and Big 12 champions uh, in Oklahoma. But, but at least it would have given us some indication of how uh, much emphasis the playoff selection committee puts on winning a conference championship. And in that scenario, that's the only real argument in Oklahoma's favor. Yeah, for me, uh, Will, I'll say this. Georgia had their chance in the exact same stadium that Oklahoma had their chance in. And we ran out of the stadium, not as bad as Oklahoma, but pretty bad. So, Georgia, you know, here's the deal. You didn't deserve to be in the Final Four. You had a chance. It was kind of a play-in game, if you will. You didn't get it. You didn't win. You didn't even come close. I mean, LSU ran the table on you. They made they made it look easy, right? So go all the way back to South Carolina. Your field goal kicker that's been clutched for so many years since he's been there, he couldn't kick a field goal. He had other things that, in Venerable that, that really didn't play a part. You know, Georgia's always going to have – you know, they have that one game, that one game that they hiccup on that they should have won, and it would have controlled an entire different avenue and a different – direction that the wind would have blown themselves for the Georgia Bulldogs. South Carolina capitalized when they needed to capitalize. And that, to me, happens a lot of times in college football. We don't always talk about it, but it always happens. There's a difference between, you know, being where you need to be at the right time. South Carolina beat Alabama in 2010 because of the same deal. Were they the best team on the football field? Probably not. Did they have the best athletes? They did that day, and that's the only day that matters. Because I can promise you, if you go through the star book, there's a lot more stars in Alabama that day than there were in South Carolina. Well, you fast forward up to this past year, 2019, nine years later, same conversation. I can promise you there's a lot more stars in the book over in Athens than there are in South Carolina. Now, who wants it more? Who played harder? Who got after it more? It was the Gamecocks. They knew what they had to do. You got a coach like that, uh, Will Muschamp, who played at the uh, University of Georgia. Of course, he played with Kirby Smart. That's the coach over in Athens, Georgia. There's a lot of entities in this robbery that makes it a little bit more of a just a true grit robbery. And it just got even better, by the way. But as far as Georgia's concerned, you got nothing you can say. You had a chance to play in. You had a chance to win your conference championship. Okay, you lost to South Carolina. That happened, right? That's going to happen. That was your only loss going into the SEC championship game. But then you got your doors blown off of you in, 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 in your own state, by the way. I mean, 
mean, your fan base didn't even have to leave the state to come support you. And you still were handled a big L in not as bad fashion. Because I don't think I've seen a beating like that that Oklahoma took the other week in a long time. But, again, Georgia, I just don't think they had an argument. And, and I'm looking outside here in the top four who would have had a better argument. And, and there aren't many. I think they got it right. I just think, unfortunately, there's a big drop-off from three to four. Yeah, and and it is, and you know how it ended uh, this this regular season and after the conference championships, it was really clear cut and, and dry who the best top three, uh, the best three teams, and it was really them and nobody else. Uh, if we're being honest with ourselves, as we have uh, a caller right now in the Mattsburgers hotlines, and to that uh, we go to him or her and say, "Top of the morning to you. You're live on Southern Sports Central." Hey, what's up? It's Chris in Georgia. Um... Yeah, huge Tennessee fan here. Uh, Richie knows me, but um, you guys are just talking about Georgia, and it just—it really seems like the wheels are kind of—I don't want to say falling off, but it's—it's it's not going to be as easy, I think, especially with Jake Fromm leaving. And I think more things are going on there behind the scenes that people want to admit, because I mean, you got their starting left tackle just transferred, or their. Or they're supposed to be starting left tackle next year. Just transferred back home to Tennessee. Caden Mays, former five-star. I mean, he was most likely going to be their starting left tackle. Had one more year before he was draft eligible. Would have went to the draft. Would have would have got drafted probably top three rounds. And he dipped out. And then you've got Jake Fromm, who could have came back and improved his draft stock. He dips out. He's probably the fifth or sixth quarterback off the board. Probably a second or third round fit. He dips out. You get all these guys that are juniors that could come back and improve their draft stock or come back. And like a few years ago when they had that big national title run, Kirby convinced guys like Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle to risk their careers to come back to to help UGA. And kids aren't wanting to do that anymore. There's nobody, you know, that's willing to to put their careers on the line for UGA for their home. A lot of kids from the home state for Kirby, because I think a lot of the shines kind of wore off on him. Now, he had a good signing class this year, but I think how many win or five-star kids going to stop believing that, man, you're the missing piece. I swear to God, you come to Georgia, you're the missing five-star we need. Eventually, kids are going to be like, no, nah, you told that to Darnell Washington, or you told that to, you know, the kid from the 2019 class, or the kid from the 2018 class. You're just not getting it done. And now... You know, Florida's coming in, and, and these five-star kids are like, well, I'm not playing right away, or I'm not happy here. I'm I'm away from home, or my friend transferred to Ohio State. I don't want to be here. And you got five-stars like Robert Bill transferring to Florida and five-stars like Cade Mays transferring to Tennessee. And you, you got guys like Jordan Birch who, who look at Kirby and is like, man, I just don't buy your BS today. I'm going to stay and play for the home, home school and, you know, you can just kick rocks. Meanwhile, Georgia, I think, signed three top 25 kids from the state of Georgia. And, I mean, Georgia's a loaded state. He could literally sign a class of 25 people from the state of Georgia alone and probably have a top five class. And he signed three this year. He went in, He went national. And that's good if you want to do that. But then when these kids come to Georgia and things aren't the way they thought it were going to be, they're a higher flight risk than they are hey, mama's down in Leesburg or mama's over in Augusta. I'm just going to tough it out here at Georgia. I'll, I'll get to start eventually. When kids from Las Vegas, like Darnell Washington, 
things don't go his way and he misses mama or he misses his girlfriend or he misses his baby, he's gone. And I think that's where Kirby's making a big mistake. And, and UGA fans, I think they'll admit it. But now they're they're trying to get a kid who who didn't throw for 3,000 yards. They sit there and bash the ACC week in and week out about how weak the defenses are. And now they're, like, getting hyped over taking a kid from Wake Forest who didn't even crack 3,000 yards against those same weak defenses. But he's going to come in the SEC where he faces a top 25 defense four weeks to not, and he's going to be a game changer. And I just I don't get their logic. Live right now, Chris, our buddy down there in Georgia. He's our Tennessee connection all the way throughout the uh, the Peach State of Georgia. He's kind of a lost uh, lost soul down there. Uh, as uh, man, that's got to be some heated waters. And we've talked about this in the last four or five years, brother. Uh, you know, number one, I love the fact that what you said a flight risk. I've never thought of it that way, but you're right. When you get a guy outside the confines of your state. When you're recruiting, there is a flight risk. There is a, he's not happy here. Mama's not even around the corner. She's around a few other states. I'm out. And you see that with your young man that just went back to Tennessee, Florida's young man that just went back to Florida. You see this more and more. But there was something, I said this yesterday. There is some rumblings and stumblings of recruiting situations. And there is some concerns in Athens between the hedges. And I wonder for him not to even be a first-round draft pick. I mean, at best, he's the number six or seven quarterback coming out, right? Because he is a pocket passer. He's not much of a runner from what I remember. That being said, though, Chris, you, you know, for him to leave and you start to see some of these other guys leave, you start to wonder, okay, what else is happening? It's just kind of like when Judy left and announced he was leaving before Tua left. I knew by Judy leaving that Tua was leaving because it's the one-two punch. It was an easy fix for me. I knew Monday they didn't need the conference. I said, man, Judy's gone. You know two is gone. Why would you come back when you don't have a guy like that to throw to? You know, that's going to help your status. Well, same thing goes for uh, those in Athens right now. You know, they are known, unfortunately, for having issues anyways. They've been kind of quiet under this newer coach and newer regime, but it does look like there is some issues, and I think you nailed it on the head too, brother. Uh, they don't even have to leave their state to recruit a top-five recruiting class Unfortunately, a lot of other high school coaches have reached out to some of the other college coaches and say, hey, look, we got players. Come over here and check us out. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, man. But uh, I do want to talk to you quickly before I get you out of here top of the hour. Uh, man, you guys in, uh, in Knoxville are rolling, dude. You guys just offered Tyson Player, who's a big-time cornerback out of uh, the state of South Carolina over there in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, a scholarship, and, uh, man, this coach in, in, in Knoxville, man, he's figured it out, dude. Come on back into the state. Yeah, Philip Bulmer made a career out of taking Palmetto kids, and it looks like uh, your coach these days is right back on my game plan. Yeah, man, I hope I hope we keep dipping into uh, South Carolina. We're looking for a running backs coach right now, uh, FSU IDOC. His, uh, his new coach, Mike Norvell, took our running backs coach, David Johnson. He's a he's dude out of the boot. He's out of Louisiana. Uh, but he's he's really good. The kids love him. Um, he was our wide receiver coach for a year. He coached Anthony Miller at at Memphis, and then he went ended up a, two, a, a no star, nobody from the inner city Memphis. Nobody gave him a chance. He was a walk on at Memphis, and you know uh, David Johnson as a wide receiver coach turned him into you know a top a top fifty pick, and he's at the Chicago Bears now, just killing it. But um, uh, he was our running backs coach. We brought T. Martin home and put him over our running back running back coach. 
and uh, he's been doing well there. And, and, and him and Mike Norvell had that previous relationship, and he decided to go down there and, and give FSU a, a try. So we're in the market for a uh, running back coach. And uh, a lot of people are saying it's either going to be Jay Graham. He's the running back's coach at uh, – at uh, Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher, he he left us to go to FSU, surprise, uh, coincidentally. But uh, back when Jimbo was there, but I think um, he kind of expected to be further along uh, under Jimbo's wing than he is now, and I think he's getting a little bit restless. So I think he might be looking around. And if he decides to stay at Texas A&M or does, decides not to come back home to Tennessee, he's a Tennessee alum. Uh, Montario Hardesty, he was a good running back. Uh, back in the day uh, in the Lane Kiffin years and everything. He's had some experience under uh, Lane Kiffin as a running back coach down at FAU, and then he's the wide receiver coach at at the Charlotte 49ers, um, non-Power 5 team, pretty fresh in the the league right now. Uh, He's been doing really well over there. Um, We may bring him home, and they both got ties to the Carolinas. Montario's from from North Carolina, as is uh, Jay Graham, so I think if one of those two come in, uh, he's they're going to be deep in, in the Carolinas. But you guys got some good guys too. Uh, I mean, uh, with with Bobo coming to South Carolina, that's a big coup. Uh, I don't know what Kirby sees in Coley. I don't know if he's going to keep Coley. If he's got a long play, he's going to get rid of him after the um, the national signing day or something. But if he, I think if he keeps Coley another year, it's a mistake, especially breaking in a new quarterback. With Fromm dipping out, this would be the perfect time for a transition to go get a different uh, offensive coordinator. You got two dual threat guys on your. Uh, if you bring in the grad, the grad transfer, and then you've got Dewan Mathis. They're thinking might get cleared. He had some uh, brain cysts last year, but that he's optimistic that he'll get cleared. But if you bring in a dual threat or a RPO type offensive coordinator, you could possibly salvage. But I think if you try to stick with Coley, man, he's it's just not going to work out. But, yeah, I'm excited for this Jalen Hyatt kid. His dad, he's super hyped up. He's, he he was asking on Twitter the other day, you know, why wouldn't – why not Tennessee? You know, why, I'm excited for our running backs because they're literally – Tennessee has five, four five-star uh, linemen um, on this O-line next year if, if Cade Mays can get clearance from the NCAA. Uh, which there's some extenuating circumstances regarding his situation. So he might, might not. We don't. You never know at the NCAA. I tell you what, you you couldn't have picked one of the better families. You got two families that I know pretty well. You you talked about Hyatt and his dad and mom, and I bet you've got a little brother too. It'd be a sophomore next year, wide receiver. A uh, great group of people. Then you got Kenny Solomon the second over there from Myrtle Beach area out of Sockety High School. Another five star kid. You know, may not be in the rivals of the 24-7 sports, but he's already been a contributor to you guys winning early, and I think that's huge as a true freshman. So, again, it's a lot of really great things. I had a chance to meet Coach Pruitt, matter of fact, at the state championship Saturday showdown in Columbia, along with uh, a couple of other your coaches there that were with him. Uh, and, and I tell you, man, he's a likable guy. I think he's got a great vision. I think he's very personable. And I think that's what these young kids are looking at. And, and again, he's a no-nonsense guy. He'll put his hands on you, and I'm cool with that, too. I mean, you know, we, we talk a little bit more about that another day. But, uh, Chris, man, it is the top of the hour, dude. Man, it makes me smile to see you coming in and checking in and, and hanging out. That just knows you're listening on the other end. Even though if you don't call in, I know you're listening. But uh, really appreciate your support here. We're going to the afternoons, by the way. I don't know if you heard that earlier. Uh, we're going to go to 6 to 8 in the evening, as we normally do in January because football season – We'll kind of come to an end, and, and we'll have a chance to interview 
uh, a little bit different crowd because it will be a little bit later. We'll have a chance to get a few more guys and girls in here with us. Okay, that, that'll be awesome for me because uh, um, I'm working second shift right now, so uh, I'll be at work, but I'll throw my AirPods in and give you guys a listen live, and, and, and hopefully when we're slow, I can, I can call in. You got it, buddy. Hey, man, God bless you. Take care, and uh, we'll talk to you the next time you get a chance to call in. You too, man. Have a good weekend. All right, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Our buddy Chris, all the way in uh, Georgia. Now, don't be mistaken. He is not a dog. He's a volunteer and uh, a big-time supporter of Southern Sports Home Throw. He contributes uh, to the Tennessee Ball Navy and uh, checks in with us on a regular basis when uh, time is permitted. Now, time is permitted us to take a break, so let's do that. It is now a little after the hour here on the 10th day of January. It is Friday morning. Right here on Southern Sports Central. Will and I will be right back as you're listening to us live right here on the Dog Talk Radio. My family and I were suffering with no protection from the hot Carolina sun. I called the Tent Farm, and they told me about their line of ceramic window film. Now I have 99.9% protection from harmful UV rays for the ones that matter the most. You don't have to be a math teacher like me for those numbers to make sense. Don't be alarmed. Call the farm. I was driving in extreme Charleston heat. I couldn't take it any longer. I wasn't alarmed. I called the farm. I used to be the victim of bad tents. It was so horrible, I was embarrassed to be seen driving even in my own hometown. I called the tent farm, and they took care of me. I wasn't alarmed. I called the farm. I'm Jonathan Farmer, owner and founder of Tent Farm. Are you a victim of bad tent? Are you suffering from extreme heat? We here at the Tent Farm want to help you with these horrible conditions. Don't be alarmed. Call the farm. And good morning, everybody. Time right now is 7:05. We're shortly after the uh, shortly after the little break here, but hour number one is done. Hour number two is now coming to you right now on Southern Sports Central. I want to give a, a special thanks to our, our friend Chris from Georgia uh, joining us uh, live on the show, and uh, and uh, it was an unfortunate little um, unfortunate little mishap. What I did was uh, put out a put out a post because he is from Georgia. Uh, and, and the Georgia Bulldogs kind of uh, being the topic of conversation there, but he is a he's a Tennessee volunteer. He is a Vols fan, and so uh, and I put that out there on Twitter. So um, so if you see that right now, uh, that that's uh, that's what I'm alluding to, uh, of course. But uh, to, to stay within the topic of conversation and the topic of uh, football, uh, we're going to transition now uh, to the next half hour, uh, about 7:30. Kind of kind of dive into some NFL. Uh, topics and conversations, but uh, to kind of continue on with the uh, with the college thing, or with the college theme, uh, if you will, the the question about um, uh, the question of the what ifs of, of the 2019 season, uh, and the the last thing I the, or the one last what if of the of the conversation uh, is definitely the uh, what if Baylor holds on to their lead. Uh, against Oklahoma, this is this is probably the biggest one uh, next to the the Tua injury. That if what if the Tua injury never happened, um, and and this is the biggest ripple effect. What if of the season 
uh, if if uh, th- this one taking the cake of of the most uh, both the most most incomprehensible and the biggest ripple effect uh, what if even though Baylor we all know Baylor was nine and zero and in the college football playoff conversation at one point but Oklahoma uh, they were they were a heavy favorite. Uh, on the road against the Bears in, in mid-November. The Sooners had struggled in their previous two games against Kansas State and Iowa State, but most everyone expected, quote-unquote, the real Oklahoma uh, to make an appearance in a statement victory. But instead, Baylor forced a three-and-out and two OU turnovers in the process of scoring 28 unanswered points in less than 10 minutes and opening up a, a 28-3 and early lead uh, in the second quarter. And by halftime, that score was 31 to 10, and it seemed like it was all over except for the shouting. But Oklahoma had five consecutive drives of more than 50 yards, and they scored uh, 24 second-half points on those possessions to take the lead. And now, meanwhile, Baylor only had two first downs in the first uh, 29 minutes of the second half. Uh, Both were the results of Sooners' penalties, and neither did anything to help the Bears. They only took two snaps in Oklahoma territory after halftime. And linebacker um, Nick Bonito broke up a pass on one of them, and he grabbed an interception on the other end, uh, uh, on the other play to end the game. And Oklahoma outgained Baylor 368 yards compared to 69 in the second half en route to a 34-31 and victory. Now, if Baylor had been able to hang on to that four-possession lead, what a nightmare scenario it could have created for the selection committee for the number four seat. It would have been... 11 and 2 Oklahoma and 11 and 2 Oregon as conference champions, as well as 12 and 1 Baylor and 11 and 2 Georgia without a conference title um, jostling for that final spot. And now, considering Baylor took Oklahoma to overtime in the Big 12 title game despite losing starting quarterback Charlie Brewer early in the second quarter, maybe the Bears, despite their laughably awful non conference schedule, they, they get the last spot in that scenario. It's hard to say. It's very likely. The Sooners would have been left out, though, uh, with their loss to to the Baylor Bears uh, in the regular season. And that would have been a, a two-loss team uh, possibly winning a, a conference championship in, in the Big 12. And, Richie, I'll bring you back in here for, for this one. This was, the, this was the one that I was going to get to. Uh, uh, and, of course, uh, uh, no, no ill will to uh, Chris from Georgia. Always fun to uh, have our friends here uh, in on the show and uh, spark conversations elsewhere. But... Uh, this one, this one really stuck out to me. Uh, the question about if Baylor, if they held on to that lead, if they were able to do more uh, to protect the football and prevent Oklahoma from this uh, this huge uh, uh, this this huge uh, deficit that Oklahoma was in, and to keep them from uh, getting a comeback victory. Uh, this this playoff scenario, like I just mentioned, would have been so very different. Uh, what do you think about it? Uh, and also, you know, bringing in uh, this this nightmare selection, uh, nightmare scenario for the selection committee: eleven and two Oklahoma, eleven and two Oregon conference champions, twelve and one Baylor, eleven and two Georgia without a conference title, all jostling and, and trying to uh, get that final number four uh, seed selection for the college football playoff. You know, number one, you know, you wonder what it does. Does it put Baylor in the conversation to being in the top four? You know, uh, that's probably one of the top things. And what does it do for Matt Rule? Does he end up landing in uh, in Carolina with the Panthers? I mean, again, it's, it's that domino effect we've been talking about the whole show here so far is, is that, you know, it may look one way, but at the other end of the deal, you know, it's, 
it's a little bit different. And, and for me, you know, I, I look at other things. Look at Alabama. You know, we, we, it, this is what I don't get. It's the hate that people have for Alabama the most is, is that treating them, they're treating them like they're a four or five team lost, you know, team in the country when realistically, you know, well, they only lost two games. Two. Two games. That was it. And for me, you know, I think honestly, out of the SEC, I think you would have seen, as far as it goes for LSU in the Final Four, I think Alabama would have played LSU as good as anybody. You know, the defense at Alabama might not have been as good as they have in the past, but they're better than what you saw Georgia put on the field. And I honestly think offensively, I thought, you know, you, you, Alabama's proven that you don't need a five-star quarterback week in and week out. You just need a quarterback, I think it's about a strong three and a four-star, and get into those five-star receivers and put you a five-star running back back there and watch the magic happen. And they got the big kids in the trenches. That's not a problem. Them. But I think it opens up the avenue and it opens up the gate. There's a lot of teams had Baylor beat Oklahoma, honestly, Dude, this thing opens it up in so many levels. Does Oregon have a chance? I don't think Oregon would have been much different. You know, I just don't. I, I think that they're very similar to Oklahoma in certain ways for me personally, looking at it from afar, you know, without having the stats in front of me. But I don't think that that, that, that you would have seen a different result in the Oregon-LSU game. But I do think that there's a little bit – more of a chance you see it with another team like an Alabama coming in and coming in here and playing against an LSU team. It would have been a second matchup. It's hard to beat somebody twice. You know, all this conversation happens. have to go to a conference championship. So Oregon probably would have been that team. Yeah, and, and that would have been, the again, the huge question, the nightmare scenario uh, for the college football uh, playoff selection committee uh, for, for deciding that number four spot. Because, again, We've already discussed it uh, plenty of times that the best three teams are are the best three teams there, and, and they were deservingly so in an LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson, uh, all being undefeated at, at the end of the regular season and winning their conferences. Um, kind of staying kind of with the college conversation, but it's a transition into the NFL um, that uh, Matt Rule, uh, the, the contract that he signed with the Carolina Panthers, it is a seven-year, $60 million uh, contract. And a lot of the owners, uh, a lot of the NFL owners are, are quote-unquote, uh, pissed. This is, this is in accordance to uh, a Washington Post um, writer, Robert Kelmo. NFL owners are angry that, Taper, that, um, that uh, Tepper, Dave Tepper, is the owner for the Carolina Panthers, that he uh, gave such a large contract to a first-time NFL head coach uh, with that seven-year, $60 million deal. Now, he spoke, the, the reporter spoke with fellow NFC South coaches, um, and they noted that owners are pissed and will look to hurt Tepper at the next league uh, meetings. They, they might just shut him out of the room. Now, the price for hiring top coaches has certainly been uh, inflated in recent years. John Gruden signed a 10-year, $100 million deal with the Oakland Raiders in 2018, but the numbers for Matt Rule are still surprising. The former head coach, uh, of Baylor and is now the sixth highest paid uh, coach in the league behind Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, uh, that same John Gruden, Sean Payton, and John Harbaugh in that order. Notably, each of those coaches has won a Super Bowl. Then again, there was interest in rule around the league, particularly from the New York Giants, and you cannot fault uh, Dave Tepper for going over the top to make sure he signed his first choice to replace Ron Rivera. And getting outbid by a larger market 
uh, has doomed many teams uh, across all leagues, and Tepper was clearly determined uh, to avoid the same outcome. What's more, uh, the Panthers reportedly paid $6 million to buy uh, Matt Rule out of his uh, contract at Baylor, and the coach can earn up to $70 million in total by way of incentives. But Tepper is also uh, the richest owner in the NFL with a net worth of about $12 billion, according to Forbes. Uh, and this, this is to no surprise of why he would pay so much in order to uh, maintain and, and go out and grab a coach like Matt Rule because there was interest from New York. There was interest from, uh, I would imagine, from Cleveland as well. But the, these large market uh, locations for head coach to go and for these large market teams in the direction that they want to, uh, the, direct, the direction that they want their teams to go. But Dave Tepper obviously was so determined and, and he went out and got it and, and, and make, making sure, in the, and he is putting a solid investment uh, into Matt Rule, who has proven himself a, a good coach to turn programs around at the college level. And now it's a question of can he do that in, in the NFL? Um, your thoughts on all of that information there, Richie? Well, first of all, let me back up just a little bit here. And, and I wanted, and I didn't get a chance here because I was trying to pull it up here. Was uh, and a little bit of last thing that we talked about when you talked about had Oklahoma lost that game. Do you realize that Florida, which we I let me go with the word I I overlooked for some reason. I, I don't. I always overlook these guys. Florida would have easily been in that conversation. By the way, they're very. Uh, I think underrated uh, to be in that game as well as of course yeah, I agree. State was another ten and two team uh, there coming in, and uh, of course Michigan at one time was uh, was uh, was a two loss team, but they lost the bowl game. But Florida, I think honestly, is a team that easily could have played in that game and, and been in the Final Four. They were very close to getting in. Uh, fast forward a little bit. Uh, look, here's the thing, man. Don't hate the player, hate the game. That's just the way it works. Because he's got more money than you, you're mad at him that he has this ability, and you don't want to lowball a guy. He wanted his guy. He was willing to pay what he wanted to pay for his guy. Now he's not a proven winner in this level. He hasn't had the accolades and things like that that, that, that really have a lot of other coaches do. But if you don't go give him the money that you feel like he deserves to get, there's a thing called outbidded, and that would have happened. Because there were other programs, other organizations. One of those was the New York Giants that was looking at this guy, who has taken Baylor, even though, look, an organization is an organization. It was in a distress mode. There was everything but smoke coming out of this camp over there in, in Baylor, and he turned it around pretty quickly. And he was a game away from possibly playing in the Final Four, you know. And for me, you know, look, it, it is what it is. And I think, honestly, by default, I think he's going to have a lot better. Honestly, I think he's going to have a lot better uh, turn around quickly. Cam Newton comes back healthy. He's got a great running back. He's got a solid linebacker. He can build this team. He can build this program. He can build his now Carolina Panthers that he's the head coach of. I think he's going to have a pretty good run here, and I think it's going to surprise the people, but he's going to quickly earn his money uh, as the head coach of the uh, Carolina Panthers. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And, and I think the thing that they are, uh, a lot of the owners are upset about and, and saying that they're, that they're pissed at him, uh, at, at uh, Dave Tepper, for, for paying such an amount of money uh, to a head coach who, who is unproven. I, I think that that's really the, uh, the biggest question of, you know, can he succeed in the NFL? Can he succeed in, uh, in doing this, uh, you know, for, 
you know, for a guy who, yes, the, the resume says at the college level that he has uh, turned programs around, um, it, turned programs around in this light, but uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a huge difference from uh, the NFL to um, when you're talking about the NFL and, and uh, translating from the college level to the NFL, whether or not you are a player or, or a coach for that matter. And, and philosophy, I think, is huge uh, when it comes to those things. And plus, and also not to mention that Matt Rule uh, at one, I think it was at one point in time, no, it was at one point in time during his press conference that he highlighted the, the hopes that he would get to work with Cam Newton and that Cam Newton would come back uh, healthy and strong again. Um, probably not even a MVP Cam like we saw a couple of years back, but at least a, a stronger Cam than what he was coming into this season and the season before where he has been hobbled with injuries, where he has sustained uh, some, some form of regress. But uh, can, how can he be able to uh, uplift um, and be able to uh, elevate his game? I think that Matt Rule would be the guy to, to help do that. Because uh, he had, like, again, Matt Rule, he's been done it, he's done it time and time again, uh, building up programs uh, from, from what was uh, a dumpster fire before to now. They, they are poised for success. And uh, for the Carolina Panthers, yes, th- that investment uh, is, is, should prove worthy. I certainly hope that it proves worthy for the next seven years. Um, but you had to do that uh, getting outbid uh, from, from other owners. He took that chance. That was a chance that he was willing to take. He looked back and he said, yeah, I can, I can take this chance. We can go and do it. And, and that's exactly what he did. And so now it, a lot of it now falls on him for – is he is he capable? Can he be able to do this uh, at, at the next level? And it is um, the the hope. It's not so much the promise, but the hope that he can get Cam Newton back to um, a, a frame of what he once was. Yeah, you know, here's my thing. Here's where they're really mad at. To be honest with you, they're mad because they he spent some money, and now they're going to have to spend some money. They can say what they want to say as far as. You know, it is that and the other. Now, they're mad because now he opened up his pocket, so now they're going to have to open up their pocket. He thought they had a gentleman's agreement, maybe, that you weren't going to do this. And uh, he's a new kid on the block. You know, this new owner at the Panthers, he's a new kid on the block, so they're going to go after him. You know, they're going to try to, you know, uh, I, I guess I'm taking on him a little bit there. But, listen, he has money. He has the ability. He has all the things that you need to go out and get the coach you want. And who's to say he shouldn't? You know, this is his franchise. This is his program. This is, you know, this is where his food comes to put on his table for his family day in and day out. So you're going to pay the best for the quarterback you want, right? You're going to go out there and put all the money you want for the guy that goes out and, and, and gets a free agency. Well, this was a coaching free agency. So you just kind of look at it. And there are a few coaches in a transition. Well, the best coach that I've seen do both college and and NFL currently, most recently, is sitting over there in Seattle. You know, I'm not a big fan of him. I don't like the way he left USC. But the guy, can, he, can, he can flat out coach. And so I'm curious to see if this guy can do very similar to what Pete Carroll's done over in Seattle. Yeah, and the one thing, uh, yeah, one thing to note as well is the, the precedent of uh, how much money that you would pay uh, a head coach. And uh, just the the difference in that, I'm not even sure of the details uh, with the the head coaching job for the Dallas Cowboys hiring uh, Mike McCarthy. Um, but you know M- McCarthy is uh, McCarthy is a coach, and there's there's a difference. I I do believe 
because uh, Matt Rule is is more so of the the, the fundamentals and knowing uh, what pieces to move around and doing all those things. And, um, and I think that that's going to be all all good and well for for the first couple of years uh, that he is a head coach. Um, and, and of course, his game translates. Uh, it, it should translate from from college football to the NFL. The thing with Mike McCarthy though is that I, I, he comes from an old school. Uh, he, he comes from an old school coach's train of thought where it's a lot of, it's a lot of the same. Uh, I, I think, you know, you know, staying with, with pocket passing and uh, you know, running back and fullback and not so much of uh, relying on the quarterback to, to move around and making plays uh, that, that suit the, the talents that the quarterback has and building a team around him. Um, and there were, there were reports, of course, uh, that, and you, you've may have seen them too, but uh, the, the reports that he basically built this, uh, I guess, this uh, man cave of a viewing room in, in a barn uh, somewhere, and he studied, uh, fi- uh, he studied film for a year. He studied the, the differences, um, the differences in the play callings now versus how it was then, and just trying to evolve his, his coaching um, so that he can be relevant in getting, getting a head coaching job once again in the NFL, and that eventually led to uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Because the Cowboys, they wanted somebody with with experience, somebody with NFL uh, experience, and uh, and all of that. With all that being said, uh, you know, the, talking about the difference in coaches, uh, the the philosophy that Mike McCarthy has, um, and how how you think that that's going to translate to to the Dallas Cowboys, and is that is that what Jerry Jones wants? Is that what the Dallas Cowboys really need? Is a coach like McCarthy, whereas they could have gone after a coach like Matt Rule. Well, first of all, you know, you're not you, – you, you tried it with Jason Garrett. You're not going to get a Matt Rule, you know. They've already done that. They've already ran that tune. They've danced that dance. And, but now you go after uh, McCarthy, who is a proven winner. He did it with the Packers. He has spent time in some of the most legendary names of coach that Green Bay, Wisconsin, you know, has ever has ever walked and talked and, and, and been around. So they're hoping some of that spirit is going to come with them to Dallas. It's going to turn them around. It's one of those things that you can't beat them, join them, you know. And the Packers have beaten the Cowboys – on numerous occasions in the playoffs. So maybe that's a mentality there. But, you know, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you know, you're, you're not out of place with the fan base that you have to, to just go out there and do what you want to do, kind of like the Giants. Yeah, the Giants are the Giants, man. They they expect to win, but really do they expect to win? And that, I mean, you know what I mean? It, it's not the same thing as being a Dallas Cowboy. These guys, this is a serious deal. It's a religion in, in Dallas. For football. I mean, they're the number one logo there. They have the what college is the Texas Longhorns logo, and in the NFL, it's the star. You know, so in the state of Ta- in, in the state of Texas, you know, this program, the Dallas Cowboys, they have to have a big name hire because they went through a lower name hire, and Garrett has done nothing but brought them misery and uh, and, and long nights for the for the Cowboys faithful. So, I think McCarthy's the right answer. The question is, can he have the power that he needs to have to be successful. That's my only concern with him. That's my only worries with him is that the fact that at the end of the day, you know, he's not much to be a puppet, you know, and, and that's kind of one of the um, qualifications to being a cowboy coach is that you have to be a puppet to that of the owner who has to have his hands in everything. I mean, it reminds me of, uh, of the wizard of Oz to some degree. So we'll wait and see how it works out. But, Definitely a great job by not bringing Rule in because he's a little bit – I don't want to say he's like a Dabo-style coach 
because I do think he's going to be um, a little bit different in certain areas, but I do think he'll become a player's coach. And right now I don't know if that's really what they need in Dallas. I, I'm not sure what they need, but, um, you know, I kind of thought Jason Garrett was that player's coach guy and was more of a friend than he was a coach. Last name that I want to uh, mention in this uh, coach's uh, carousel, and he's one that has not been hired on yet anywhere, uh, Josh McDaniels, the New England Patriots offensive coordinator, uh, expected to be a hot commodity uh, in the coaches' search in the coaching searches this off season. But there's now a quote unquote fifty fifty chance says uh, he says in this in his role. Uh, he apparently went all in uh, for the Cleveland Browns job and quote unquote botched his chances to end up with the New York Giants or the Carolina Panthers. And the Browns are apparently down to McDaniel's and uh, Minnesota Vikings offensive coordinator. Uh, Kevin Stefanski to fill their head coaching position. And, and uh, I think that we're going to wait uh, until today or tomorrow to find out who's going to be the uh, Browns next head coach. But um, McDaniels was planning to put off, he was planning to put off all interviews uh, to today, January 10th, but that changed uh, once the Patriots were eliminated from the playoffs uh, this past Saturday. And now McDaniels was set to interview with the Panthers on Tuesday, the Giants on Wednesday and the Browns today. Um, the Panthers and Giants, however, they, they made their coaches' decisions uh, Tuesday, and then there was doubt whether McDaniels was interested in the Giants' position to begin with due to the market and possible power struggle within the organization. And though he's still a top candidate for Cleveland, there's a lot of competition to uh, replace Freddie Kitchen. Their, their, uh, their incoming um, interview schedule uh, started on Wednesday with the Eagles defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz. Uh, Thursday's uh, interview with uh, Vikings offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski, and then on Friday uh, today with Josh McDaniels. And they've already interviewed uh, Greg Roman, Robert Saleh, and Eric Bianami. And the Browns want to have a deal in place by Saturday. Uh, and we all know that McDaniels, he was seemingly set to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts two years ago before he changed his mind and returned to the Patriots. And he was head coach of the Denver Broncos for two seasons in 20, uh, 2009 and 2010, uh, and he spent 11 years as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach uh, with the Patriots. So with that name in mind, Josh McDaniels, uh, going and re- reinserting himself back into a head coaching position, and really the only one left is uh, the Cleveland Browns job. And uh, I, I think that the Browns now are, are kind of getting into gear and saying, okay, this was, this was a failed experiment. And in every sense of the word, and they, they let go of a um, they, they fired the head coach and they fired the GM as well. Now they're seeking after finding the head coach first because rumor is that they are seeking to um, for the coach of whoever the next coach is of the Cleveland Browns to have a say in who the GM is to make the football decisions and making personnel changes and, and all of that. Um, your thoughts on, on Josh McDaniels and, and really for that head coaching job in Cleveland. Oh man, who would want that job though, man? I mean, it's not a really good hire. I mean, I, I know I, I wouldn't want it. I don't, I wouldn't want to go to, uh, to coaching over there. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of where they are right now. I, I think they're just kind of lost in, in the, who's their next guy because who wants to be over there? Josh McDaniels does. I mean, because he's, he's unfortunately, you know, struggling to find a home, but, um, I'll say that. Um, I, I guess the reality part of it is, is, is here. If I'm the Cleveland Browns, I'm going after McDaniels. I think that's a better hire. I don't know 
if the fallback is really over the Vikings. But I think they've been told no more than they've been told, let me look into it and get back to you. Uh, I just don't think it's a very attractive hire. It hasn't been, other than the fact that it's an NFL job, right? I mean, I think that's that's kind of the, the key element. It's kind of a it kind of cut your teeth, kind of open it and bring it into the NFL new job. You really can't do too much wrong because they don't do a whole lot of right in Cleveland. Um, you know, congratulations. Even the state of Ohio, once again, it doesn't come out of Cleveland, but it does come out of Cincinnati, still holds the normal draft pick. So it's kind of a, a, a laughing joke to me. But, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't think it matters who they have over there right now. I think there's a lot of internal issues that has to be in the office before you even make it to the football field. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that and the, the culture that is there uh, with the Cleveland Browns. It, it is, um, it, it's been susceptible to criticism all year, uh, ever since the, the trades back in March uh, of last year uh, for, for Odell, reuniting with Jarvis Landry, putting together with a, a two-year quarterback in Baker Mayfield, who has um, who seemingly had the best uh, last half of a season for a rookie quarterback, and there were a bunch of hopes and all that, all that stuff. And then... Um, they listened to the, the rookie quarterback saying, I liked uh, working with Freddie Kitchens. All right, let's make them hit. Let's make him the head coach. Don't even give any, like anybody else the opportunity really to interview for this job or, or being able to, uh, to be able to even like, I don't know, get an interview request or, or however you look at it for uh, the Cleveland job. It, it was just handed over the keys to the keys to the car were handed over to Freddie Kitchens and, uh, and having a, a guy, be able to go in there the first time head coach no nfl uh, head coaching experience really and and that and then that that was just the the train wreck that we saw this year for the cleveland browns going six and ten um i mean i i personally think that they were even lucky to win six games um but that that's just my personal opinion and yes it, it is a it is a culture problem it's a question of really who wants that job um it is an nfl job it's a head coaching job i i'm hopeful that there are changes there uh, within the organization that are effective enough to where it is a positive place to want to go. Not, not so much a notable name like a New York or a Dallas or, or an LA Rams uh, job or something like that, but, uh, or a green Bay, but it is nonetheless a, a, a great, it, w- it would be a great hire if jo- if Josh McDaniels were to go. But I think a lot of um, a microscope would be put on him and any coach for that matter. I'm speaking specifically to Josh, to Josh McDaniels in particular because he he is the, the hot commodity, uh, the question about him, whether or not he was going to stay with the Patriots or if he was going to go and uh, pursue a head coaching job elsewhere or, or another coordinator position somewhere else and, and being another one of the uh, assistants in the Belichick coaching tree that, that gets a head coaching job, what would they, that would be like five or six now. Uh, if he were to take that job or if he were offered that job and he were to take it. Uh, th- with all that being said, uh, th- it's, still, it's still a lot to look at because um, he, he said that he was planning to put off all interviews until today, and he's going to meet with the Cleveland Browns today. And it being the last, um, the last coaching, the head coaching vacancy uh, still left up on the board um, is still a lot to, uh, still a lot to consider uh, there as well, uh, Richie. I want to take a. We're going to take a quick break right here, and then uh, come back. We are going to uh, transition still into uh, NFL and kind of kind of frame up the the matchups uh, for the divisional round of the playoffs 
coming up uh, tomorrow night and on Sunday night. And so uh, just a great, great matchups for this. And just uh, some some fun facts that you may 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 or may not have known uh, about these teams that are going to be playing up uh, against each other. So with that being said, we're going to take a quick break right now, and we will be right back. This is Southern Sports Central on Blog Talk Radio. And if you're just joining us, good morning. And we're having a great conversation now. Uh, and we're going to have a great conversation uh, coming up soon. So uh, just uh, keep it locked right here, Southern Sports Central. Just like that, time is 7.39. If you are listening to the lyrics 
uh, one of the things that they said, they were heading down to uh, New Orleans. And if you are doing that, Clemson fan or, or an LSU, just happened to uh, wanting to check out the national championship game there in the Big Easy, uh, please, happy, happy travels, safe travels, and uh, uh, be sure to pack a rain jacket. Uh, our friend Matt Sims joined the show yesterday, and he was talking about how uh, the forecast, if, if you haven't looked at the forecast for uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, that is supposed to rain on Saturday, uh, which is the time that I think a lot of fans are, are going to uh, transition and go, uh, and go and have a, a three-day weekend uh, over there, Saturday, Sunday, and, and Monday. Uh, for that, with that being said, welcome into Southern Sports Central. My name is Will Porter, and uh, the co-host, uh, the host for, for the show, the Saturday morning uh, fifth quarter edition, uh, which tune in uh, tomorrow from, from 8 to 10, and it's uh, still kind of the same uh, conversations, a lot, a lot of uh, stuff still to unfold uh, as we know it uh, tomorrow. Uh, some of the stuff that's going to happen today we will, of course, report tomorrow and also uh, dive in a little deeper to the, the Clemson-LSU matchups and, uh, and all of those things, and as well as um, kind of highlighting the, uh, the NFL divisional round uh, playoffs a little bit more and, and diving into those uh, really, really getting into those topics deep. And, and of course, if you want to call into uh, the show and be, continue to be a part of the conversation uh, with us, you can follow us on Twitter at, at SO Sports Central. And that's where we, we connect with a lot of our uh, followers and a lot of uh, the listeners. Uh, also on Facebook at Southern Sports Central. Give us a thumbs up, a like, uh, and uh, you know, leave, leave us a review or a comment on the show. Uh, we try we try our best to uh, have a little bit of outreach in just about every aspect of, of social media that we can. Uh, the best way you can get get with us is uh, on the air um, live for for the two hour shows that we do have, uh, and to call into the show uh, to let us know what you think, to let us know uh, what the, the topic that is on your mind, and we can we can discuss it right here and right now. Uh, the number to call in is three two three seven eight four nine six eight one. It's always fun to. Uh, get callers in into the show, uh, like Chris from Georgia uh, earlier this morning. He joined us about an hour ago, uh, talking some uh, Tennessee volunteer and, and SEC uh, football for for the matter. Uh, now it's going to transition into the NFL news, and this is the divisional round of the NFL uh, playoffs. And there are two games on Saturday, two two games tomorrow, and then two games on Sunday. Uh, both both the NFC and the AFC. And this is how it's going to line up. Both the NFC and the AFC will have games um, on, on each day. And it's the number one seeds in, in both the NFC and the AFC, they will play their opponents on Saturday. The number two seeds for AFC and NFC, they will play their opponents on Sunday. With that being said, in case you don't know the seeding and, and how it lines up, no problem. I've got your back. I've got you covered. The first game that's going to be played uh, this is going to be uh, covered on NBC tomorrow uh, afternoon, starting at 4:35 is kick is kickoff time. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings, the 10 and 6 Vikings, uh, visiting the 13 and 3 San Francisco uh, 49ers. Now, Kirk Cousins is starting uh, the 49ers is uh, Kirk Cousins is starting the Vikings' first playoff game at Levi at Levi Stadium, and, and the the first playoff game at Levi Stadium was how Coach Kyle Shanahan planned it when he took over San Francisco um, back in, in 2017 uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm. Now, the ESPN's Football Power Index has San Francisco winning this game 66.1% chance. And this is, this is going to be a battle, I, I do believe, uh, because 
the surprise that Cousins is starting for the Minnesota Vikings instead of the Niners uh, when the team meet in the divisional round on Saturday. Now, Kirk Cousins starting in the 49ers' first playoff game at Levi Stadium was how Coach Kyle Shanahan planned it when he took over in San Francisco back in 2017. Things have worked out just fine for both Cousins and Shanahan, even though the quarterback and play caller never reunited after building a strong relationship during their time together in Washington in 2012 to 2013. Now, the 49ers, they acquired Jimmy Garoppolo in a trade from New England during the 2017 season, months before Cousins hit the free agency market. And they've built a strong team around a very different quarterback. Cousins ended up with the Vikings 11-6 and on a fully guaranteed $84 million contract to last three years. He is coming off the biggest win of his career, having thrown the game-winning touchdown pass over in overtime to Kyle Rudolph last week in a 26-20 victory uh, in New Orleans that some Saints fans, I do believe, are still fuming about. Uh, the success comes as no surprise to Shanahan, who was part of the staff in Washington that drafted Cousins in the fourth round, and they helped develop him into an NFL starter. Now, Shanahan said about uh, Kirk Cousins, I think he's always just steadily climbed. Every time he's gotten more opportunities, he's only gotten better. Now, I know when he's had bad games, he's always learned from them, come back and respond. I think he's been given the right opportunity. Uh, whether he's been given the right opportunity, I think he's uh, – whenever he's been given the right opportunity, I think he's shown people he's one of the better quarterbacks in this league. Now, Cousins feels the same way about Shanahan as a play caller and a coach. And he's not surprised at the success he has had in rebuilding a losing franchise uh, of the 49ers. This is what uh, Kirk said uh, about his former coach. I've been fortunate to be around some great coaches, and Kyle's certainly one of them. He's shown that through the years since we have gone our separate ways. Uh, but none of that will matter once the game starts on Saturday. Shanahan says neither side has any advantage uh, because of the knowledge uh, of how the other one operates, on how the other one operates. Um, Shanahan said, I- I'm not sitting there going against Kirk. Uh, so I think that stuff is totally overrated. He's been a lot of places. He can do a lot of things that I don't know about. Uh, of a dozen players currently on the 49ers roster, have postseason experience, and even that number is a bit uh, inflated because it includes Garoppolo, who got only two snaps of mop-up duty in one game, and players like receiver uh, Jordan Matthews, who are likely to be inactive. Receiver Emmanuel Sanders, who has played in two Super Bowls, says uh, the key to uh, dealing with that lack of playoff experience is to make sure you don't try to do too much. He says that when a lot of people get in the playoffs, they think they've got to do more. At the end of the day, you're in the playoffs. You've already been winning games. Just remain who you are. Um, and Garoppolo, let's, let's just remember this. Garoppolo's worst career start came in last season's opener at Minnesota when he threw three interceptions, including a pick six, and had a career-low QBR of 50 or 45.1. And Garoppolo said the Vikings do a good job disguising coverage with their safeties, and he believes he's better prepared to face them this second time. Uh, Garoppolo said they don't give you anything easy. They make you work for everything down the field. That There's really no easy completions, no easy eight-yard run that you're going to get. We're going to have to earn everything. The second game is the Titans-Ravens. This one is a fun one. This one's going to be an 815. Uh, this one's going to be an 815 kickoff over on CBS, a, a primetime game. Tennessee coming off its biggest upset win, I think, in, uh, in professional sports for the longest time and the way that they did it uh, against an all-time great in Tom Brady. They win their wild-card game 
and they are the wild card, winning their wild card game and advancing to this uh, to the playoffs. They are going to go and play against a Baltimore team, uh, fourteen and two, and the number one seed in the AFC. Uh, Tennessee, uh, they're going to have their they're going to have their hands full. They're only eighteen point two percent chance to win this game, according to uh, ESPN's football uh, power index. And for Tennessee, they they have uh, quite a few questions as to uh, as to their receiver Adam Humphreys and even. Uh, Cody Hollister, who is uh, questionable right now, but Humphreys is out, and Jalen Brown, one of their linebackers, is out as well. Baltimore is a is a spread consensus pick to win um, 9.5, 9.5 points favorite, and the over-under is 47. But with this game, what this means is containing Lamar Jackson, and it's been virtually impossible for opposing defenses this season, and now the task, they falls on Tennessee Titans to find a way to slow down this versatile quarterback who is equally adept at running the ball and throwing down the field. The Titans coach, Mike Vrabel, acknowledged other than try to tie his shoelaces together, not many people have had uh, success. Now, the, the Baltimore Ravens, they bring in a 12-game winning streak and the most productive offense in the NFL into Saturday's AFC playoff game against the Titans, who advanced by beating New England last week. And Tennessee's hopes of pulling off another upset rests upon keeping Jackson in check. The 2016 Heisman Trophy winner has become an unstoppable force in his second NFL season. He's run for 1,206 yards, most by a quarterback in NFL history, and also tossing 36 touchdown passes. Jackson is the main component on a team that is ranked number one with 531 points and set an NFL record with 3,296 yards rushing. Asked if he had ever seen a, a climb run the ball, uh, a club run the ball so effectively, this is what uh, Mike Vabrell applied, uh, replied to. Not in this league. It's ridiculous. I just did the math. It took me a while. Uh, now, the Titans have a solid running game, too. Derrick Henry, the NFL's leading rusher, is a six foot three, 247-pound bruiser who throttled the Patriots for 182 yards on the ground. And to keep the clock running, by the way. Uh, he's like one of those guys that the the kid creates on Madden. Um, this is what uh, defensive coordinator Don Martindale uh, said, the, the Ravens' defensive coordinator. He's like one of those guys you create on Madden. You shouldn't be that big and be able to run like he runs. Obviously, we're going to have uh, to bring our lunch pail, uh, work at, and just go play football with him. And Baltimore's defense has no intention of backing down. Uh, something that uh, safety Earl Thomas said of the Patriots. Guys didn't seem like they were too interested in tackling him. Our mindset is a little different. We're going to tackle him uh, and try to swarm. And uh, Tennessee's offense has flourished since Ryan Tannehill took over for struggling uh, Matt Marcus Mariota in week seven. He has thrown at least one touchdown pass in 11 straight starts and over the final 10 games of the regular season accounted for. Uh, 26 total touchdowns, 22 through the air and four on the ground. Only Jackson with 30 had more over that span of time. Uh, one thing to take away from this game I, I do want to mention is the fact that there are five former Heisman Trophy winners in this game. Not necessarily playing every down, but every game, or the, for this game, there are Five Heisman Trophy winners. Obviously, you have Lamar Jackson for the Ravens, and you have um, RG3 
and you have uh, Mark Ingram, who's uh, questionable to be in this game. But nonetheless, he's still on the roster. And then for Tennessee, you have Derrick Henry and Marcus Mariota. Like, it, it just how, how incredible that – how it all lines up together. Uh, and, and this game is going to bring you five uh, former Heisman Trophy winners or Heisman Trophy winners. And so this, so this is going to be a great matchup to, to keep your eye on. And, of course, this one is uh, at 8.15, a primetime game tomorrow night on CBS. Also on CBS, this is Sunday's game. As we have uh, time is 7.52 right now. I'm going to kind of breeze, breeze through the, uh, these uh, games here and definitely going to uh, come back once again uh, tomorrow morning for the fifth quarter show dive more into these games in particular and uh and to bring you some more uh some more insight some more input uh, and of course richie will join me as well um but stay tuned for the fifth quarter show because it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun it's going to be really good um a, a lot of good a lot of good commentating a lot of good um, analysis and input uh to be put on that show but for now i'm going to focus for the rest of this show uh the afc Divisional playoffs for the number two seed. Uh, Houston is coming in to play the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Houston ten and six coming to play a twelve and four Kansas City uh, Chiefs team. They knew they were in the market for a quarterback a couple of years ago, and with several first round talents available, they invited uh, Clemson's Deshaun Watson uh, and Texas Tech's Patrick Mahomes for visits. Both were put through their paces. Uh, they scribble plays on whiteboards to test their recall and uh, dissect a game film to test their mental aptitude and situational awareness. They went onto the practice field and ran a series of drills to test their athleticism. They were asked to throw every pass in the book from depth screen passes to intricate timing routes to deep downfield heaves. The Chiefs, like everything Watson did over those couple of days, they loved what Mahomes did. So the Chiefs traded up to select Mahomes with the 10th overall pick. The Houston Texans jumped on Watson two picks later, and the start of their professional careers have continued to run side-by-side side, with Mahomes leading the Chiefs to back-to-back AFC West titles and uh, the brink of a Super Bowl appearance last season, and Watson guiding the Texans to, again, consecutive playoff appearances for the third time in franchise history. Now, their parallel paths will intersect when the Texans visit the Chiefs in the divisional round of the playoffs Sunday. Uh, Chiefs coach Andy Reid said this, how great is that for the National Football League? First of all, these good young quarterbacks. We actually brought Deshaun up here too before the draft and had a nice visit with him. We have a ton of respect for him. He's a great player. He was great in college. He is great now. He's going to do nothing but get better as time goes on. And we all know Watson, especially impressive last week, he led the Texans back from a 16-0 second half deficit to beat the Bills 22-19 in overtime. He threw for a touchdown and ran for another in a performance um, reminiscent of his Week 6 game against the Chiefs when Watson threw for a score and ran for two more in a 31-24 victory at Arrowhead. When you have guys like Deshaun, uh, this is Texas coach Bill O'Brien, when you have guys like Deshaun and Patrick, you don't want to overcoach them. Uh, He also had both quarterbacks in Houston for the pre-draft visit in 2017. They have such great instincts. Uh, they see the field very well. With Deshaun, you might be able to point out a few things, but his guy, but his guy has a huge heart, and he's doing what is best for the team and trying to win games. You don't want to overcoach that. And the win was especially sweet for Watson, who has a bit of a chip on his shoulder about Kansas City choosing Mahomes over him. And the win should give the underdog Texans a boost of confidence, knowing they have been uh, they have beaten Chiefs 
and their star quarterback once this season. Watson said, it's cool to see a fellow friend of mine and a guy that play, playing the same position as me has so much success and see it live in action. So it's definitely dope. It's going to be a good experience. Like you said, we played earlier this year. It was a good game. We went back and forth. But, yeah, it's just two good teams going head-to-head, and we're just trying to be the best we can for our team and help our team win. Uh, Trying to figure out what has changed since that October matchup and how to counter it could be one of the biggest storylines on Sunday. And here are a few more to watch uh, as the Texans. Uh, Of course, J.J. Watt being in, uh, and then uh, Armani Watt uh, helping fill the void created by the loss of the standout rookie uh, uh, on the Chiefs. Uh, And then uh, Fuller, he could be buoyed out of his return. Uh, He's been out with that groin injury, been very nagging groin injury. Uh, So we'll see how the injuries and uh, and the health of these teams uh, for for each of their own individual matters how they all um, how they all uh, pan out. Uh, the one thing about this game though is that the Texans they they are kind of a they are a in a way a, a favorite but they are an underdog. I think they are a favorite from uh, the standpoint of the heart of the matter. Kansas City is a nine and a half point favorite. The over and under is fifty one. Expect a good bit of scoring from these two teams. But it's 81.5% chance that Kansas City takes home a win at Arrowhead uh, over the Texans. Then the final game of the night uh, for uh, for the NFC Divisional Playoff Rounds on Sunday is uh, an NFC matchup, Seahawks versus Green Bay. 11-5, Seattle comes into the Packers 13-3. This one's going to kick off at 640 on Fox. Uh, kind of another primetime game. This is Aaron Rodgers. He won his first Super Bowl nearly a decade ago. It's time to catch her, uh, capture a second. Uh, and his time to do that is, is certainly uh, running out, uh, if you will. It's on his mind every day. That's what he says. That's why we play the game. That's why you put in the time in the offseason. That's why you do the little things. It's to put yourself in the position where two, we're two games away from being able to compete for that. I'm 36. I know what this is all about. Uh, this is an important opportunity for us. I feel like I got a lot of really good years left, but you never know. A lot of things happen year to year. We've had some great teams that have been an injury away or a play away from being special. Uh, so I want to make the most of this opportunity. He said they will host um, They will host the divisional round. It's the first postseason appearance for Rodgers in three years. And he said, I'm at the age now, I believe that Brett Favre, was when he when I was drafted, and obviously closer to the finish than the beginning. The most important thing is winning, and I know how difficult a couple of those years were when we weren't winning. He feels great. I started all 16 games and wasn't in the training room a whole lot. I had some issues early in the season with my knee, but man, I felt great from about week on. It feels good to be where I'm at right now. And Rodgers led an injury-laden Packers team to the NFC Championship game in Green Bay's previous postseason appearance. In the 2016 season, before getting blown out by the Falcons, uh, 44 to 21. But the Packers squad, including Rodgers, is a healthy, uh, as healthy as Green Bay has been in recent years. And the matchup predictor has this game going to Green Bay, 66.3% on ESPN's FPI, and a consensus favorite. Um, Green Bay is four and a half points, and Seattle's going to have their time too. It's, and I firmly believe that it's going to come down to. Who is the healthiest team? Which, which of these teams is going to be the healthiest? Uh, the Seattle Seahawks or the Green Bay Packers? Uh, be sure to tune in to, uh, to this show tomorrow morning for the fifth quarter radio show from 8 to 10 in the morning. Uh, it will be hosted by yours truly, Richie Altman, of course, will join. 
and uh, and uh, kind of giving input and insights and some things that I don't really know uh, a whole lot about, but that's that's perfectly okay because uh, diversified opinions are always good. Want a huge huge thank you to our sponsors, uh, the Fan Zone, Gerns Pharmacy, Matt's Burgers, uh, all of the sponsors that help this show uh, to be what it is and to and to put it out there to uh, the listeners that you guys so. Thank you so much for listening this morning, and be sure to tune in once again to the 8 o'clock show tomorrow morning. A lot of football to be played, still left to be played, NFL and college. We'll see you later. Out in the country, past the city limit sign, well, there's a honky-tonk, there's a county.